welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following message is from our lead pastor, Jared Brooks. So if you will pull out your phone, if you check in throughout the month of December and you can drive by the church, see the sign and go, you know what, I'm going to check in. I drove by the church. It's a drive-by. Drive-by check-in. So you can do drive-bys. Everything counts. The more we check in, the more uh, opportunities it is for us to bless people. And so this month, like he said, I don't know if you've ever seen a book of hope. Uh, We've passed out thousands and thousands of books of hope uh, throughout our ministries. And um, so the book of hope is a powerful book. But this one is specifically written and illustrated for kids, children, youth. And so, man, it's a powerful tool. So you checking in today helps provide uh, students with that blessing. That's awesome. Amen? Amen. We've got some exciting things coming up. So I'll do announcements at the, at the end and, and tell you uh, our, some of our big things. But I want to speak this morning on a need for addictions. Okay? Everybody say a need for addictions. So the next couple weeks, we're going to kind of talk about this, but it's the Christmas season. In case you've been in a hole or a cave for the last couple months, it's Christmas time, right? And uh, I love Christmas time. You love Christmas time? Christmas time is exciting for me. How many of you decorate? Eight of us, all right. So we're not a big decorating people, um, but I like to decorate. But I'm one of those people that if I'm going to decorate Thanksgiving, like... If I can do it right before Thanksgiving, I'll do it right before Thanksgiving. And I don't care if it's weird to other people, but if I'm going to put it up, I want it up as long as possible. If I'm going to put all that work and dragging that stuff down out of the attics and the boxes and going through and all the annoying lights that don't work, and you can never figure it out. And every year, you feel like you're supposed to buy new lights because they're not all working. It's annoying. But if I'm going to put all that effort and work into it, I want it to be up as long as possible. And if I'll leave it up until the homeowners tell me to take it down. <laughs> and they do, by the way. Um, but the point is, is I love Christmas time. But we're in this Christmas season. And I was thinking about it a few weeks ago. I was thinking about the few weeks leading up to Christmas time. And um, everybody's so happy. Have you ever noticed that? At Christmas time, just in general, people seem happier. They, you walk into Walmart or Target or wherever you're, you're going, and people are like, hey, Merry Christmas. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Merry Christmas. Yeah, you too. And they're ringing the bell, Merry Christmas. Uh, they, they were ringing the bell of Salvation Army, and I gave Peyton and Parker both the dollar, and I said, go put it in and, and say Merry Christmas. So they said Merry Christmas. She gave them the bell. She handed the bell to them and said, you can have that. And I was like, well, you're going to ring. You can't be a Salvation, you can't ha- not have a bell. And I said, give it back to her. <laughs> so I made them give it back. But, but uh, they, she gave them the, but everybody's so giving and cheerful. And, and of course, you know, you got the Black Friday creepers and that are like angry people. That's different. That's, that's kind of like pre-Christmas. You got to get all the demons out right before Christmas. But once you fight over all the Black Friday stuff and you're like punching people in the face and kicking and clawing, then all of a sudden it's Christmas cheer and everybody's like, oh, Merry Christmas. And, and I see signs all over the place. He's the reason for the season. Y'all see those? Jesus is the reason for the season. And then January is going to hit 
The lights are going to come down. A lot of people will put the frowns back on. And then we'll spend the next few months trying to pay off all the justified spending that we just did. And we kind of lose it. We kind of go back. You know, during Christmas time, we try to go to church as families. A lot of people do. People that maybe don't go to church regularly will try to go as a family. People who don't read their Bibles regularly will read the Christmas story to their kids. And they can't even find it. They're like Leviticus. Man, there's a Christmas story in here somewhere. No, that's not right. It's one of those others. I can't. Revelation. And uh, they just can't find it. And they read the Bible together. And it's something about Christmas. And then all of a sudden, we just turn it off. Right? And, and for a lot of people, we just go back to um, the same way that it's always been. And, and our normal lives. And we lose that Christmas cheer. We forget that he's still the reason for the season. So if you would, stand with me this morning. We're going to read out of the book of Luke, chapter number 22. We're going to start with verse 39. You can follow along on the Sky Bible. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he arose arose from prayer, he went back to his disciples and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked. Get up. And pray that you will not fall into temptation. Father, we ask this morning, Lord, that you just be with us. That you bless us. God, we ask that, that this morning as we hear your word, that your word becomes uh, alive in our spirits. God, we know that your word is ever living and breathing. And it's always uh, working among us and in us. But I pray this morning that we see it clearly, Father. And I pray that, that it becomes a uh, uh, water to our spirit, bread to our souls, God, Lord, that you just move in this place. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. I have a friend, his name is Webster, and he wrote a book. It's called The Dictionary. And in this book, he wrote, and he said that addiction is a compulsive need for and a use of a habit-forming substance, okay? Now, I don't know if you've dealt with people with addictions before. I've, I've dealt with a lot of people that have had addictions before. Um, and when we speak of dic- addictions, I'm not talking about just uh, substance abuse, things like that. I'm just talking about addictions, okay? Addict- I mean, most everyone in this room is addicted to something, okay? Come on, you admit that? You're addicted to something? You, you don't want to admit it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> He's addicted to love. I'm addicted to love. There's, they wrote a song about that. But uh, I'm addicted to things. Uh, Addiction is a need for something, okay? The state of being enslaved to a habit or practice or something that is psychologically or physically habit-forming. Okay, now, if you were trying to learn English, there's an English learner's dictionary. I didn't know that. You got new English. But there's an English learner's dictionary, and they they, uh, will interpret things a little bit different, make it uh, simple so that you can get it. 
And then the English Learner's Dictionary, it says, addiction is a strong need to regularly, everybody say regularly. That's just a fun word to say, regularly. Regularly. See, now that you say it, it sounds wrong. Regularly. Regularly. A strong need to regularly, (laughs) see, now you can't do it without thinking about it. Have something or do something. To have something or do something. According to Medilexicon's medical dictionary, I have one of those, I don't, but I read this in it. It says, addiction is habitual, psychological, or physiologic dependence on a substance or a practice that is beyond, everybody say beyond. Beyond Beyond voluntary control, okay? Have you ever heard somebody say, be careful, that habit might turn into an addiction, yeah, nobody, just me, I mean, I am, I am preaching to myself, hey, that's a good word, thank you, thank you, but some, some people will tell you, hey, be careful, you get, you know, you're forming this habit, that habit could turn into an addiction, because there's a difference between a habit and an addiction, they're not the same thing, okay, with a habit, you are in control of your choices, with an addiction, you're not, you're not in control, an addiction, there is a psychological physical component the person is unable to control the aspects of an addiction without help okay so it's an uncontrollable sensation it's something that you can't help you have an addiction problem i'm addicted to golf okay i'll just be honest and and by that i mean that there's a lot of times almost daily i think about when i can go play golf okay and that's i'm not saying that you know, being honest, okay? I to pull out the couch and feel like I need to lay down. But there are times during the day I'll be like, okay, if I get all my stuff done, I could probably go play tomorrow. Maybe. I think about golf. I like golf. So there's this strong need to have it regularly in my life, okay? I'll go a couple weeks without playing, three or four weeks, and Shelly's like, you play all the time. I'm like, it's been a month. It's been a month. My clubs are in the garage screaming, screaming out for me because I like golf. Some of you have other addictions like food. Come on, come on. Jose raises his hand. He's like, yes, I know. We have addictions like food. You have uh, rest, like I love Japanese food. I'm, I would call that an addiction because I do think about that regularly. Every time we're talking about what to eat, I bring it up. I'm sorry. I just bring it up. And I'm being honest, people. Okay? I'm just being honest. But I bring it up. She's like, what do you want to eat today? We need to eat some more fast. Well, you can call ahead to Shogun, though. Have it ready. <laughs> no, we're not eating Shogun. Okay. What do you want to eat today? Well, I'm not going anywhere, so we can go smell like food and go to Shogun. Because <laughs> Shogun's the gift that keeps giving. You take it home with you, and uh, it'll stay on your coats for a week. Habit is done by choice. The person with a habit can, can choose to stop and will subsequently stop successfully if they want to. The psychological and physical component is not an issue as it is with addiction. Okay? So here lies the issue at hand and the point of this message today, and, and we're going to share a little bit next week along these same lines. But we as a church... Okay, And when I say we as a church, I'm not talking about just 
the exchange. I'm talking about the church in America. We have this thing about Christmas. When it's Christmas time, Christmas becomes a big deal. You know, it's Christmas and we say the right things. We do the right things. We, we plan things to have everybody come into our church because it's the season. And, and we're reminding people, just remember that Christmas is not all about gifts. It's not all about just giving. It's about, it's about the greatest gift that was ever given. We say those things, right? And it's Christmas, and we recognize that He is the reason for a season. But He's not just the reason for a season. Okay? He's the reason for every season. And right after Christmas, He's still the reason for that season. And, and all the way through Valentine's, He's still the reason for the season. All the way to Easter, he's still the reason for the season. And we should have signs that say it's Easter time. He's the reason for the season. Hey, it's May. He's the reason for the season. Look what? It's, it's June. He's the reason for the season. And when, when, when the fall comes around, he's the reason. And, and for some reason, a lot of times in church, we just get into this kind of Christmas. <coughs> they call it Christmas spirit. And we feel it, and we, we share it, and we, we revel in this joy of this Christmas time. But it's not just about that. He's the reason all the time. And so we have to take it from being a habit that we turn on and off at Christmas time to an addiction that we just have a need for Him. That we have a need for Him all the time. The problem is we need these habits to turn into addictions to where every day we're recognizing He is the reason for the season. He's the cause. He's our purpose in life. Our goal as children of God is to have a dependence on our Heavenly Father. Amen? We have to have an addiction to Jesus Christ. We have to have an addiction to our Father. We have to be addicted to His presence. I was going to come in here and play the song Addicted to Jesus by Carmen. Anybody know that song? Man, I should have played it. A to J. Because I'm addicted. I'm addicted. It's addicted to G. Anyway, you don't get it. Never mind. It's uh, Carmen. Y'all know who Carmen is, right? A few say? No? Okay, awesome. Moving right along. So, we have to be dependent on our relationship with Him. We have to be dependent upon our guidance from Him. We have to be dependent upon His protection over us. We have to be addicted to His presence. Amen? Because we need that addiction. And for too many church people, Jesus and the presence of God is a habit. Amen. Shout me down when I'm preaching real good. I mean, you just, you just get in there. Because I'm telling you, it's a habit for a lot of people. Church, God, the relation, our relationship with God is something we turn on, turn off at will. Those are called habits. Okay, we go to church because it's a habit. It's something we do on Sundays, but we can stop anytime we want because it's not really a need. We, we, pray, off, we pray at the dinner table. That's a habit. Every time we sit down and pray, we join hands, we say our blessing. That's a habit. We can stop at any time we want. It's not a need. But an addiction becomes something that you can't control. A need for more. A need for more is what an addiction is. We have to have a need for more. Jesus Christ came to this earth, and when he came to this earth, he was both God and man. Okay? He came to this earth, and he fulfilled. He was fully God, and yet he was fully man. And when he came to this earth, he became the ultimate sacrifice. 
<laughs> no sacrifice. I mean, all everything that had been done that had been written in the Old Testament was now pushed away. It wasn't forgotten. But Jesus came and he became the ultimate sacrifice. And I thank God for that sacrifice. Amen. But he also came to be the ultimate example. He, be, he became the ultimate example for us to live. A lot of us, we just want to recognize his sacrifice and say, thank you for that sacrifice, Jesus. And we take advantage of that sacrifice because it's awesome and it's a free gift that he gave us if we'll just believe. But he came and he became the greatest example for us to live by. He gave us examples that we could learn from and benefit from in a lot of areas. One area he was... In uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 3, Jesus, he goes to John and he asks John to baptize him. Not because it was needed, but, but it was necessary as an example. Okay? Matthew chapter 3, Jesus, uh, then Jesus came from Galilee, and this is starting verse 13, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized you and you do you coming to me? I I need to be. You, we need to swap places. You baptize. You're Jesus. John recognized. He understood what was going on, and he says, "You're coming to me to be baptized." I don't think so. Jesus replied. <coughs> he says, "Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. He didn't need to be baptized. Okay? You get that? Jesus didn't have this need to be baptized. He was fully God. Okay? If there was a person ever in the Bible who could who could come to this earth and not have a need to have a relationship with God because he was, it was Jesus. Jesus didn't need baptism, but he came and he says, listen, I'm doing this. Let it be so now. It is proper for us. Everybody say us. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus came and he didn't just say, say, do as I, as I say. He said, do as I do. Follow me. Watch me. I'm going to give you the perfect example. So he starts living these examples out. He's showing his disciples every day as an example how to act, how to react, how to treat people, how to love people, how to respond to people, how to work, how to play. He was just the perfect example. One of the examples he gave us was his need or his dependency in his relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus had a dependency on the Father, and he was showing us in Luke chapter 22, our opening passage. Verse number 39, we started out and it says, Jesus went out as usual. Everybody say as usual. If there was ever a man who could go through life and not need this relationship with God, Jesus could. But Jesus, being fully God, recognized his need, being fully man, to have a constant, consistent dependency, an addiction in his relationship with God, his relationship with the Father. Okay? He clearly shows us, it says he went out as usual to the mount to pray. 
we don't need just a, a seasonal habit, but a genuine addiction for the presence of God. A daily need. Something that regularly we need more and more and more. That's always there. An addiction to him will do three things. We're going we're gonna to break down <coughs> Luke chapter 22. So if you have it in your Bible, you can mark it. We're going back to Luke chapter 22. There are three things that will happen when we have a, an addiction to him. First, an addiction to him will keep you out of temptation. Everybody say, keep you out of temptation. Okay? Now, maybe you're one of those special people here today that you don't deal with temptation because you're there, you know? And we, every church has some of those great people that they don't deal with temptations. They're, them and Jesus are like that, you know? And so there's no temptation. But for all the rest of us who are still breathing in this church, we face temptations, okay? And Jesus says in verse number 40, on reaching the place, okay, so he goes out to the mountain as usual, meaning that Jesus did this often. He goes to the mountain as usual. In verse 40, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you don't fall into temptation, it's really hard to fall into temptation when you have a real addiction to his presence. Can we agree on that? When you're addicted to him, it's hard to fall into temptation. It, it's hard to have an affair on your spouse with them in the room. You know what I'm saying? In their presence, it's hard to do things like that. When you're in the presence of God, when you have a constant addiction to his presence, it's hard. It's hard to, to fall into temptation. Jesus, he's telling his disciples, he says, listen, we're going. This is my regular spot. I come here all the time. Okay, this is where I go to pray. As usual, Jesus shows up to pray, and he takes his disciples. They're with him, and he says, now listen, I want you to pray that you don't fall into temptation. So, so you're talking about prayer and a relationship to God will help me overcome temptation. Being in his presence helps you overcome temptation. Do you believe that? When I was... 19 or 20 years old, I was a youth pastor in Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> and I had a kid come up to me, Pastor Jared, I got, a, I got a problem, and I don't remember what I had preached that day, but whatever it was sparked four or five of these conversations, and this kid comes up to me, he says, Pastor Jared, I got a problem with porn, and I was like, okay, so what's going on? He's like, I just, I look at porn all the time, and you know, and I got a problem. And I was like, okay. And he said, I don't want to look at porn. I don't want this in my life, but I don't know how, I don't know how to fix it. And man, all the time I come to church and I give it to God and I always go home and I'm dealing with it. And I try, and I'll do like, I'll go two or three days and I'll be fine. And then I just, everything falls apart. And I was sitting there and I was like, okay, hmm. So what did I tell him? Because they didn't tell me what to tell him exactly. I've heard this before, but I couldn't remember. So I'm starting. While he's talking to me, I'm like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And all of a sudden, it came to me. And I said, okay. I said, well, when you have these urges, uh, when, when this, this comes to your mind, where are you at and what's the source it's coming from? How do you, how do you indulge yourself? In my bedroom, I have a computer. And I was like, Okay. Now, this is a long time ago. It's 20 years ago. So, 
not everybody had computers in their bedrooms and stuff back then, so I didn't have to deal with this with a lot of kids at, in the beginning of my ministry. But he had a computer in his room, and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you, I said, do you have a CD drive in your computer? He said, yeah. I said, okay. I want you to go open up your CD drive, and I want you to put in this CD. And I gave him, uh, it was Brownsville Revival. Y'all remember that? Lyndall Cooley. Yeah, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, have y'all ever heard, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me. Woo! And everybody goes crazy. And then he goes back to, uh, I went to the enemy's camp. And I took back what he stole from me. Because I, right? And Lyndall Cooley, he's playing in the choir singing. I said, go put this CD in your CD, in your CD player, okay? Whenever... You have this thought, this urge, and it comes to your mind, and you think, because it's all, it's going to come to your mind, you don't just all of a sudden wake up and you're in the middle of porn, right? (laughs) Whenever this thought comes, and you have to get up and go to the computer, I want you to push play, okay? And I said, and I gave him another CD, and it just came out, and it was Shout to the Lord. And I said, it's going to be really hard to indulge yourself while looking at porn, singing, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. <laughs> he said, okay, okay. The next week, <laughs> we're, there's a, a lot of youth, we're all hanging out. He walks in, he goes, Pastor Jared, the worship worked. I didn't look at porn. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, praise God. But, but the thought process for me was, it's hard to indulge yourself in that, in temptation, when in the presence of God. Right? Doesn't that make sense? And so Jesus, he goes to the mountain as usual. This is something that he does all the time. And he tells the disciples, I want you to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. James 1, 4 says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed, okay? So they're dragged away by their own evil desires. Few people are dragged away in a crowd, okay? This morning, if somebody wanted to come in and kidnap one of you, take you away, they're not going to walk in right now in front of us all, come and grab Jay, and then drag him out with all of us here, right? Okay, they're going to wait until he gets up and goes to the back, goes to the restroom, go get another cup of coffee. And when he's away from the crowd, they're going to snatch him. That's the way the enemy works. Each one of us are dragged away inside. If we will stay in the presence of God, if we will stay surrounded by that, how do we do that? We just keep our minds free. We keep people around us that lift us up and don't tear us down. Okay, it's like the story of David and Goliath. Goliath's standing there and he's like, send me out a man. Send me out a man that'll fight me. Goliath never said, hey, send me an army. Bring on the army, baby. He never said that. He was looking for a man because he knew he could defeat a man, but he wasn't sure he could defeat an army. He was trying to isolate his enemy and separate him because he knew one-on-one he could take him. That's the way the enemy works. He drags us away and he entices us. He drags us away when we're weak, when we're vulnerable, when we're, when we're not in our right mind. 
And so our job is to, to have a, a usual, an as usual, where we constantly have a, a consistent prayer time, that we're constantly thinking and being in the presence of God. Jesus takes them to his usual spot, and he says, listen, pray that you don't fall into temptation. It, your own evil desire, that's your usual, the things that we always fall into. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But, youth, listen to me. When you are tempted, mom and dad, listen to me. He always provides a way out. Okay? So he's saying, hey, you're going to go through temptations. Jesus telling the disciples, you're going to go through temptations, but you pray, pray that you don't fall into temptations. But if you are tempted, I'm always going to give you a way out. I'm not going to let you carry a load so big that you can't handle it. Jesus himself, he's tempted, he's tested. Matthew chapter four, <coughs> it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, this, this, you could preach all kinds of messages out of this right here. Sometimes the enemy will manipulate and twist the word of God to fit. You know how people sometimes will pull out just one verse of the Bible and it justifies their lifestyle? We're not going to go there right now, but the devil, the devil is talking to him and the devil says, for it is written that he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him and said, but it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you just bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels attended to him listen Jesus himself went through temptation this fully God yet fully man was tested just as you and I are tested <clears throat> and he overcame through fasting and the word of God okay Jesus overcame temptation by fasting and the word of God Jesus was a man of prayer Jesus needed a strong relationship with God he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God and being in the presence of God strengthened him to a point that he could withstand the temptation that was about to come he was tempted by the devil himself the devil himself having an, addic an addiction to Christ having an addiction to him Will one, keep you out of temptation. Number two, keep your eyes on his will. Okay? He said in verse number 41, it says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. This is what he prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What he's saying right here is he's saying, God, 
If there's another option at this point, I would like to exercise that option. Okay? What he's saying right now is, God, I don't know if I'm ready to die. I don't know that I want to die. Okay? This shows Jesus being fully man, fully vulnerable. Okay? Now, don't, don't, don't overlook this verse and just take it lightly because Jesus has this moment where he's saying, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other options, you know, I know we had a plan. I know when I came down here, I came down here and I was born from a, a teenage virgin named Mary and I lived this life and I, I was going to live this life and I was going to be perfect and I was going to be without sin and, and God, I was going to preach your gospel and I was going to lay out a plan of salvation for the rest of the world. For generations. But God in this moment. If there's any way. Let this cup pass from me. And then he, he goes right on. He says. Yet not my will. But yours be done. I can imagine Jesus blood pressure. Sky high. Okay. Fully man. Fully human at this point. He's scared. There's this. There's this. Uh, unknowing. Even though it's written, even though he knows this is how it's got to be. He's just at this place where he's so vulnerable. The most vulnerable we've seen him yet in his lifetime. And he says, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But then he doesn't even really stop. Immediately he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Listen, when you have a constant uh, addiction to the presence of God, you will keep your eyes not on your will, but his will. It will always keep his will in the forefront of your thoughts and your minds. That's the problem with a lot of people today is, is we start getting out of the presence of God and then everything becomes me, my agenda, my, what I need to do next, what job I need to get. And we take out of the equation him, his will, his purpose. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Our name here at this church is the exchange. And I get asked all the time, what is, I, you know, I see that. What does your name mean? Matthew 16, 25 says, for whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life because of me will find it. In other words, not my will, but yours be done. I exchange my plans for yours. This is the exchange that Jesus was making in that moment. He was saying, God, I don't, I don't really want to die, okay? Um, man, it's hard. It's hard. I, I've, I've been God, and I've been seated in, in heavenly places, and, and now I've walked this earth, and I've built relationships with people, and my emotions are spent. I've loved people. I've been betrayed by people. I've been stabbed in the back, and, and my emotions are just all over the place. God, I, I don't know that I can handle this. Father, I don't know that I can handle this. And he says, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And then he goes on immediately. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He says, I exchange my, my desire, my thoughts as a, as a human being. I exchange that for your plans. Nevertheless, not my plans, but your plans be done. That's the exchange. That's the whole the, the premise of where our name came from as a church. Is that we get outside of our own will, our agenda, what church should look like, what we want to build, what we want to do. But what do you want to do, God? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to say? Who do you want us to reach? Who do you want us to love? Who do you want us to reach out to? Not my will, God, but your will be done. 
He spent time with the Father. Jesus spent regular, consistent time with the Father. And in that time with the Father, he understood. There are several times recorded in the New Testament where he made statements and he says, I must be about my Father's business. Okay? He was constantly reminding himself and people around him, listen, I'm about my Father's business. I've got one plan and it's his will. His will, his plan for my life. That's what, when you're addicted to him, when you're addicted to his presence, you will be reminded constantly of his will, not your will. Amen? Amen. Number three. Number one is it will keep you out of temptation. Number two is it will keep your eyes on his will. Number three, it will keep you strong. Everybody say strong. strong. Okay, it will keep you strong. We don't have a relationship with the Father just so that we can make it to heaven. I always believe that's why I have a relationship with God, okay? That's why I would pray for salvation when I felt like I had sinned. I'd pray for salvation, not because I wanted a relationship with him. I just wanted to go to heaven. I was scared of hell. I was scared of the tribulation. I was scared of the, the guillotine that will drop and cut people's heads off that don't have 666 tattooed on their forehead or under the hand. I was scared of all those things. I was scared of the Unite van chasing me down a bridge and I was on a bridge and I was running in slow motion and the van was coming faster and faster and faster and they were trying to take me. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but there were movies that came out back in the 70s and 80s. A Distant Thunder and Image of the Beast and Thief in the Night and Prodigal Planet. And those movies were scary. Scared the hell out of me. All the time. All the time. They were scary. And in these movies, the rapture takes place and, and people are left behind. Loved ones are left behind. There's a lawnmower going in the middle of the front yard. That's creepy stuff. Creepy stuff. You walk in and the church is empty except for the preacher. That's creepy stuff. The preacher's up there, oh, I should have known. What? My dad was a pastor. You're going to hell? You're going to hell, dad? I mean, this was scary. And then, and then you had a choice. You had to get the, the mark of the beast. If you didn't get the mark of the beast, you had to run for your life and survive Seven years, the tribulation. Or uh, you could get the mark of the beast. And if you get the mark of the beast, you could go to, to uh, grocery stores. You could get food. You could just walk around like normal little cult people. Okay? That's, that's what these movies, these Bible, biblical based, the gospel from the Bible. This is what they taught me. And I was scared to death. So I would repent of my sin, not because I wanted a relationship with Jesus Christ, but because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to have to take the mark of the beast. <laughs> Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. This was scary. And, and our relationship with him is not based on that. Our, 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 our relationship is because we love him. Because we love him. Everything is brought back to the fact that we're in love with Jesus Christ. What he did for us was the greatest act of love known to mankind. That's why the Bible says greater love hath no one than this. That a man lay down his life for a friend. The greatest love ever. 
And so my relationship with God is not so that I can keep from hell, so that I can keep from this this final destination, but my relationship with him is because I love him. But he keeps me strong. When, when, When I have a constant addiction to his presence, he makes me strong. He makes me strong. Sometimes we feel like we just don't have the strength to carry on. And a lot of times as Christians, we say that. We say that throughout the week. I just don't know how much more I can take. You ever said that? I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much more of this I can handle. And we start feeling our breaking point, and we start going, okay, here's the breaking point. Paul, he wrote to the Corinthians, and he says in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He's talking about God. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. Everybody say perfect. In weakness. Therefore, this is Paul talking, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. He's saying, I will boast about my weakness. I will boast about the fact that I don't have all the answers. I will boast about the fact that I struggle because when I boast about my weakness, when I allow my weakness to manifest itself, it activates the power of God in and over my life. Okay, so Paul, he's saying, listen, I boast about my weakness. I don't try to cover up. And I know that no, nobody in this church <coughs> would ever walk into here and pretend that everything is going great. You know, we would never walk into here and pretend that life is perfect and our job is the greatest job on the planet. And we have zero family problems and we're debt free. We walk. That's not us. But there's some people who come into church and they're struggling with stuff. And a lot of times we feel like we have to put on this smile and then we have to just go through the motions and people walk up to us and they say, hey, how are you doing? And our response is, great, how are you? It's a habit. Great, how are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, not so bad. (laughs) In your weakness, he's made strong. His strength is made perfect. So, so Jesus, he has this as usual moment, this as usual moment. <clears throat> he goes to the mountain as usual and he prays and he says, disciples, listen, I want you to pray that you don't fall in temptation. He goes and he has a vulnerable moment, but he keeps his eyes set on, on the presence of God and the will of God. And then the Bible says at the very end of that, Verse 43, after he's prayed, an angel appeared from heaven and appeared to him and strengthened him. See, when we've, when we've hit rock bottom and we feel like we can't go anymore, being in the presence of God strengthens you. If you want to know how to make it another day, if you want to know the answer to all these issues and problems that just keep stacking up on top of you, it's him. It's being in his presence. It's having an addiction to his presence. But if, not, if we're not careful, we'll build up a tolerance. The word tolerance is a, a condition in which an addiction needs higher doses of a substance to achieve the same effect previously achieved with a lower dose. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about... How many times I've built up a tolerance to my addiction to him? 
Because when I got saved and I gave my life to God, I had a real addiction to him. I talked about him all the time. I stopped. I stopped things that I was doing that wasn't pleasing to him. I just shared about him all the time. And a lot of y'all have heard the story, but years and years ago, when I got saved and gave my life to God, um, Pastor Kevin wasn't in the same page with me. And we were hanging out one time, and uh, he was trying to get me to go places with him. And I was like, I can't. I've changed my life. I can't. And he was trying to get me to, to turn. <laughs> he was, I don't even know why we're friends. I don't even know why we're friends, honestly. But I had this addiction to God. And my addiction to him, God was so much that I knew I couldn't be friends with Kevin because I had my own evil desires, the Bible says. And my own evil desires were like his own evil desires. And if I hung around him long enough, he was going to bring out all my little evil desires. So we couldn't be friends. So we stopped being friends. We stopped talking for years. He didn't even invite me to his wedding with Lisa. And I'm still bitter about that. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But what had happened was, <coughs> at the beginning of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I had this addiction, this great need. And you know what happened? It became common to me. It became normal, you know. Church used to be exciting. I remember coming to church and it was exciting. And then all of a sudden, church was really normal. It was, you know, expected. There's a story in the book of Leviticus. And you could go look this up later if you want. It's um, Leviticus chapter 8. And God tells Moses, he says, go get your brother Aaron and his two sons. And he says... Uh, I want you to go anoint Aaron and his two sons to be priests. Now, this is pretty exciting at the time <laughs> because the only people that could be in the presence of God were the priests, okay? Common people. You, if, this, if it was like to, back in the Bible days here in the church, you wouldn't be able to be in the presence of God, okay? You would come to me uh, and you would, you would give me all your sin, your sacrifices, and I would go to the presence of God for you. Okay? So I had access to the presence of God. You did not. So God tells Moses, he says, go get your brother Aaron and your two nephews. And he says, anoint them as priests. This is a big deal. Now they get to go in the presence of God. Now, if you go and you look in Leviticus, there's like ridiculous amount of uh, rules and guidelines. It was like, okay, you do this, flip your collar this way, pull your zipper down two inches. It was just crazy, all the things they had to go through for their ordination process. It was like, you're going to hem a button here, and you're going to, six inches down, you're going to put a stitch here, and you're going to wear this, and at the bottom. I mean, it was detailed. And then at the end, you're going to go, and you're going to sleep in front of the tent, uh, the opening. They just had to go through all this process to become a priest. So they were anointed, and they became priests. This is a huge, huge huge moment right they get to be in the presence of God this is awesome <laughs> so now they're priests and and they're offering sacrifices they're going past the outer court into the presence of God this is awesome and God said when you do this when you do this I am holy you will do it this way this is what God says and he gives them a list of rules this is how you're going to walk into my presence this is how you will present yourself in my presence. And he gave them a list of rules. 
And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 8 that they were doing this. They were carrying out their priestly duties. But there came a point, one version, I believe it's the amplified version, says they looked at God as common. Oh, that's the point where you cue the scary music if this was a scary movie. Okay? The Bible says that they offered, uh, there's several different versions. One says an unknown fragrance to God. An unfamiliar fragrance to God. In other words, they went into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, and they knew what they were supposed to do. They knew how they were supposed to act. They knew that God is holy, but all of a sudden they had done it so many times, they just looked at God as no big deal, as common. They made up their own rules. They go into the presence of God, and the Bible says that they were struck down immediately, dead, killed. Aaron is mourning them. Moses comes in. <coughs> These are his nephews. And he's like, don't mourn them. We can't mourn them. This might happen to you. They did not look at God as holy. They built up a tolerance to the presence of God. They went into the presence of God. And at the beginning, it was awesome. It was an addiction. It was passionate. Because they were able to be in the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, they started looking at God as common. It's no big deal. That's what we do as a church. A lot. I didn't, I didn't figure that was a good amen part. But as a church, a lot of times, and Ben, if you would come back, we, we get in the presence of God and we come to church like it's no big deal. We do it all the time. It is a big deal. God shows up, okay? The real presence of God shows up. You get that? Every Sunday, He actually shows up. I know that's so hard for some of us to believe, but it's because we built up a tolerance and we need a greater dose to get that high, that feeling that we once had. But nevertheless, every Sunday, the presence of God shows up in this place. And when we come in and we look at God as no big deal, we sit here and it's like, oh, sweet, you know, it's church. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we do every Sunday. No big deal. God says, I'm holy. I'm holy. We've got to be so careful that we don't build up a tolerance. And, and all of a sudden, we just come to church and we start playing this habitual church game. Okay? It's just church. I mean, no big deal. Are you going to go to church? I ah, think about it. Maybe, maybe not. Seriously, maybe, maybe not. The presence of God. It's God. But we've forgotten about that. If we're honest, right? It's just church. We've forgotten that it's really his presence. He shows, do you believe it? I mean, do you believe he shows up, his presence? But for some reason, we just, we built up a tolerance. It's just church, you know? No big deal. Just, I mean, we're going to sing some worship songs and all that. I mean, occasionally we'll sing my favorite song and I'll get goosebumps. No big deal. These two sons... These two sons, Aaron's sons, come into the presence of God and they looked at God as no big deal. Oh, I, I didn't know you were serious about all these rules of how I was supposed to present myself in your presence. And, and Moses, he told, <coughs> he told some of the other uncles, he said, oh, you got to drag them out. You got to drag them outside the city. We can't give them a proper funeral. We can't celebrate their life. They disobeyed. 
Now, this is, this is Old Testament. I'm not telling you that that's what's going to happen or it would happen all the time. But my point to make is that we can't be tolerant to the presence of God. We can't come into church and be like, you know, it's just church. It's no big deal. I used to tell my master's commission team when we would travel, you'd be very careful that you don't look at this as common. You be very careful that we don't go to a church and then we're performing and that we're doing this. We are inviting and ushering in the manifested presence of God. And don't you dare, don't you dare take advantage of that. That's what I would tell them all the time. Because when I read that story, it reminds me that I should be scared to not just be tolerant. I want to know God. And I, I don't want to be those Pharisees who are in the temple and the, the Bible says they were waving palm branches and they were crying out, we want to see the Messiah, send the Messiah. And then in the Bible, the Messiah rides by on a donkey and all the religious people are in the temple and they never even saw the donkey go by. Sometimes that's what happens in church. The presence of God shows up and all the religious people are like, this is church, Amen. Praise God, that was a good song, good song. And the presence of God comes in, shows up, walks right out, and some of us never even noticed. Was he here this morning? God showed up? Dang it, I wasn't even looking. I wasn't even looking. I wasn't even paying attention. Did I go to the bathroom that time? And we we just see God is common. So part of an addiction is a constant need for more regularly more a constant need for higher doses see we have to be addicted to him year round we can't go into this seasonal habit of yay yay it's Christmas time it's all about Jesus no it's always all about Jesus as soon as Christmas over is over it's always all about Jesus we've got to keep that Need and that desire for Him more and more, more and more. Every day it's got to be relevant. Every day it's got to be real. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Now, just for a second, I want you to examine your, your life, yourself, and I want you to look at an area right now that you can say, okay, God, this is an area I'm going to adjust. This is an area I'm going to adjust because I'm going to do my best to spend more time with you. I need an as usual place. I need an as usual moment. So you know what your life looks like. You know what your days look like when you get up, when you go to bed, what your schedule's like. I want you to find an as usual moment for a second. And right there where you are, will you just, will you just pray? pray and make a pact with God and say, God, you know what? I, here's my as usual. I'm going to start this week. And before work, or before I leave, or after I get out of bed, I'm going to go. I'm going to go into the living room. I'm going to turn on some worship music. And I'm going to have an as usual. I'm going to have an as usual. Father, I ask right now, God, 
Lord, that we have a constant need for you. A need for your presence, God, that we're never satisfied, that we're never complacent, God. Lord, but that every week we come with an expectancy that you're going to show up, that your manifested presence is going to show up in this place. God, that we understand that when we have needs, that you're going to take our needs from us. Because you're a good father, that's what you do. God, and, and in return, we're, we're going to look for our as-usual moment so that we can, we can build up a habit that will turn into an addiction. Because in that habit, we'll start to see you like we haven't seen before. In that habit, God, we'll start to hear your still, small voice. In that habit, we'll start to sense this peace that surpasses all understanding. That in that habit, God, everything, the, the, the chains the, of bondage, the heaviness, the burdens that we're carrying, God, we'll feel them lifted. And that habit will become an addiction because we've just got to have it, Lord. That we need you. That we need you constantly, Jesus. That we're in desperate need of you, of your presence all the time, God. And it's not your fault, God, because you've never left us. You've, you're not ever away from us. You're not ever apart from us, God. But that our eyes, that we will be focused, that we'll see you. That will recognize you. God, I pray that we build up an addiction for you. An addiction for your presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. There's nothing like you, God. There's no one like you, God. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.